Today's teaching text comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 to 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears a message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This past week, uh, Dante Wright was shot in Minnesota after being stopped by the police. And as I was uh, finishing preparation um, to teach, the body cam footage was released that showed an unarmed Adam Toledo being shot with his hands up in Chicago. He was 13 years old. I have a few things I want to say about this and then pray, but as we were turning on the cameras to record, we got word that there was another shooting in a FedEx facility in Indianapolis, and 
we can't even keep up with the evil, the brokenness, the tearing each other apart that's going on in our world. So I'm going to press on with a few things I wanted to say in response to those first two, to Dante and to Adam and the tragedies there. And we'll include the families in Indianapolis in a prayer in just a moment. But I want you to take a moment and just honestly consider what happens in your mind, what happens in your heart when you hear about these situations. Take a moment and be really honest with yourself. Let's be really honest with ourselves. You know, there's too many possibilities to even go through to consider. Um, But these horrific events, they cause us to look at our world. They cause us to look at our society, at, at our country, for sure. But I think they also have to cause us to look at our own hearts. What's happening there? What do, we, what do we find truly going on in our hearts? And we, we have to have the courage to be really honest about whatever that true condition is. Jesus in this parable that we just read you know, today seems to be indicating that the condition we truly find our hearts in is of utmost importance and not just for ourselves, though of course it is that, but also its importance to the world. When there's something wrong in our hearts, it, it spills out beyond just us. So we're, go, we're going to speak today a little bit to um, the true you know, condition we find our hearts in. But as we begin, I said, I said I want to pray. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for our country. I want to pray um, for our city, for our church, for our own hearts. We're, we're confronting again the death of another black man at the hands of police of a 13-year-old Hispanic boy who's not going to reach 14. And so we pay attention to what we find in our hearts. It's grief, anger, uh, possibly a a mixture, probably a mixture. For some, there'll be exasperation. But pay close attention if there's also numbness, if there might be apathy, if you're leaping to distraction or perhaps even rationalization, if the first thing is to begin to explain these things away or look to extenuating circumstance, what does that say? We have this really dangerous reality uh, in America for followers of Jesus in that certain things that belong to the realm of all human concern, right? They're, they're, they're concerned for all people. They're get, getting categorized as political issues that only have one of two sides, only one of two ways to look, to look at it. And it's very dangerous because this isn't the way life actually works, and it's not the way our hearts actually work. And so we need to sit with this reality. A man's life was taken from him. He was 20 years old. A boy's life was taken at 13. There's been a pattern of so many of these deaths. If we find ourselves leaping to the extenuating circumstances in order to explain it away, we need to ask ourselves, what is happening to our hearts? 
Because no matter what, we want to be true of our lives, of our hearts, of our country, of our society. Uh, whistling or having Skittles or sleeping in your car at a drive-thru or using a $20 bill that, that's, that's a forgery or having a cell phone or selling loose cigarettes or having a pill bottle or sitting on your porch or being asleep in your own bed or, or even having a criminal record or having a warrant out for your arrest. These are not reasons that you should be shot to death. These are not capital offenses by the laws of our land. Something else is going on. Despite our highest ideals, there is not equality in the American experience. Too too many of our black and brown brothers and sisters are having a different experience. Too many of our Asian and Asian American brothers and sisters are having a different experience. And different experience is not even close to encapsulating what's really going on. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your concern, no matter how you voted. If you are a follower of Jesus, your neighbor is your concern. Dr. Esau Macaulay (laughs) who wrote Reading While Black, which is an African-American biblical interpretation as an exercise and hope, uh, a tremendous book uh, that I commend to you. He said something this week that I I think the church needs to hear. It was on Twitter, and he said, We ask people to join in the fight against racism and injustice. Instead, some started a five-year fight against their definitions and perceptions of Marxism, socialism, and others, and tried to force us to prove our beliefs came from Jesus before they would help. Nah, I'm good. I'm not going to even begin to presume to speak for all that Macaulay has in mind, but I think you can hear the frustration in what, what he's saying. Our brother in Christ is saying, we ask, please see what's happening. Grieve with us. Care about the black experience in America. And they heard back, actually, we take issue with how you're describing it. And there's some nuance over here that needs to be introduced. To me, this feels similar to many of Jesus's reaction to the Pharisees. He says to them, Things like you're tithing and you're tithing all the way down to your spice rack, your mint and dill and cumin, but uh, you're doing everything you can to be biblically legal, but you're missing love. You're worried about you know, building a fence around your own heart to make sure you're protected, but you're missing the heart of God. You're laying heavy burdens on people, but you're not willing to lay a finger to help. Over and over in the teaching of Jesus, this truth comes through. Whatever you are using to excuse yourself from loving your neighbor is not a good enough excuse. And church, I'm not preaching at you. (laughs) Whatever I am using to excuse myself from loving my neighbor in real heart level, tangible action is not a good enough excuse. Dante Wright, a young man who is made in the image of God, 
out of Toledo, a boy made in the image of God, our neighbor. These victims in Indianapolis, and I don't even know what's really happened there yet. I don't know what to do except to pray. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bring heavy and broken hearts before you again today. We are grieving the death of Dante Wright and Adam Toledo. And we are shocked to hear of this shooting in Indianapolis. And we ask for mercy. How long, O Lord, till there is change? What must we do for things to be different? Show us the way. Help us to walk in it. Please bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Father, you have said your peace is beyond human understanding, but that it can guard our hearts and minds. We need it also to guard our bodies, (laughs) to guard the bodies of our black and brown neighbors. We pray for the families of these two boys. We we pray that you would be near to them in your felt presence. We pray you would give them peace that is beyond explanation, beyond human understanding. Because we don't understand. We don't have the words. We pray you would comfort them in their unimaginable pain. God, your word says that you are near to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. And we are holding you to your word today. Please let them know that you are near. God, we also pray for these officers who fired their weapons and took human life. Come under with them the grief and pain that they too must feel. Would you work in this experience to draw their hearts to you? Father, we know there is immense challenges in the roles that police play in our communities, but the way things are is not working. We need help. We need change. The way things are are rooted in this unjust and targeted system. It, It has to be different. We have this obsessive reliance on violence and we keep paying the price. We are still tangled with the racist roots of our nation and we are not free. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us, Lord. Please give your comfort to our black and brown brothers and sisters who are carrying a disproportionate weight of pain, of frustration, and and, and grief. The exhaustion, the heaviness is too much. Bear the weight. Show us how to love one another well. God, you have called us to, to, to something glorious and we are falling short. You have given us all this shining gift of the Imago Dei in our souls, but we are trapped in a system that keeps insisting that some are less than that. God, have mercy. Forgive us. Help us to live truly in the way of Jesus. Heal our nation. Heal our land. Show us where we are to repent. and Give us the courage and faith to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.
Our teaching text today begins um, the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables, saying, A father went out to sow his seed. We're going to press in on this parable because I think what it has to say to our hearts is absolutely relevant to the national moment, the city moment, the church moment, the personal moment that we're in. And so part of me feels like we should just pray and and close it and go to communion and ask for mercy. But I want to press into what this teaching of Jesus says about our hearts. And so we're going to begin where it begins. It says large crowds are following Jesus. This is you know, the, we're in Matthew 13. We've been tracking with the, you know, the ministry of Jesus in the gospel here. And so we can ask the question, who are these people? Why are they there? And, uh, you know, I think there are some obvious reasons that just a quick, you know, traveling through the passages will, will un, you know, unveil for us. He's healed people. That's a really big draw. You know, whether you have are sick yourself or, or know someone who needs healing or love someone who needs healing, or you just want to come and see the spectacle of the reality of someone who is, who is, who is using power in this way to, to heal people, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's some of the reason. Also, there was a, a greater level of messianic expectation uh, in, in, in first century Israel as people are waiting on Israel's Messiah, on the, on the um, r- resurrection of all these promises made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and all through their national history. There was a longing and hope that Rome would be removed and that the kingdom would come and Messiah was going to bring that. We also know that John the Baptist had a, had a ministry of, of, of calling people to return to Yahweh in their hearts, and he directed all the influence of his ministry to Jesus and said, follow this man. And so different reasons why there are uh, large crowds following Jesus. Another refrain that you see over and over in the Gospels is that it says he taught with authority. Something about his teaching wasn't just like, hey, here's a nice insight from the Torah. Here's something interesting about the human condition. He taught with authority as if the words had weight. Uh, the, 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 the word for the glory of God in Hebrew is weight. It's like the words uh, of Jesus fell and shook foundations and, and, and people w- w- were tremendously intrigued and compelled by the reality that he taught with this authority. Matthew's gospel is kind of a bridge between uh, the Old Testament and the New, and it's written specifically to, um, with a Jewish audience at least in mind. And so there are these five long discourses uh, that, that take place in, in Matthew, and two of them have already happened, and Matthew 13 signals the beginning of the third. We've had the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5-7. through We've had this, this mission that he gives his disciples where he unpacks for them what it is to be uh, living in the way of Jesus and taking that mission to others. And now we come to the parables. In a very real sense, there is, there is something surrounding Jesus that was offering life and offering it in a new way. Not just in the words he said, but in the life he was living and the power that was flowing out uh, from his life. But Jesus begins in a new way in the parables to call not just for observation and consideration, but response. I'm glad you're all here, but that's not quite enough. I'm glad you're all listening, but that's quite not quite enough. I'm glad you're all intrigued, but I'm about more than just you know garnering your attention. I'm after your hearts. Kathleen Norris, who who wrote uh, the Cloister Walk, 
says a prophet's task is to reveal the fault lines beneath the comfortable surface of the worlds we invent for ourselves. The national myths as well as the little lies and delusions of control and security that get us through the day. The prophet's task is to reveal these hidden fault lines. Well, what happens when those fault lines are revealed? What happens when our myths are exposed? What happens when the little lies that we tell ourselves get found out? We have to decide what we're going to do. And the parables of Jesus invite that response. These parables, they stand, as we have said before, as something of a doorway. They're, they're like an invitation. They're, they're, it's almost like seeing the beginning of a trailhead into, 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 the, into the woods. They invite engagement. They, they invite a, a, a walk to process. They, they demand a, a response or they demand that you shake your head and leave. And here's the wild thing. Here's the wild thing about Jesus' ministry, among many wild things, but here's one of the wild things. At the feeding of the 5,000, which in the Gospel of Matthew takes place just after this chapter, chapter 13, and the feeding of the 5,000 is in chapter 14. And by actual count, we know if you were to count all the people there, the the men and the women and the children, we're probably talking about like 15,000 or more people. And so at some point, just around this time in Jesus' ministry, you have 15,000 plus people that make up this large crowd that is gathered to hear his teaching. At the end, after Jesus' death and resurrection, as they're waiting on the falling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, it says there was 120 gathered to pray and wait in expectation for what Jesus said was coming as a result of his life, death, and resurrection. From 15,000 plus to 120. Sometimes I get sad that someone's not at our church anymore or that there aren't as many people attending this thing. And then I remember Jesus went from 15,000 plus to 120. He would not be invited to the church growth conference to share the principles on, on maximizing your influence. And think about this, because Paul said over 500 people, in in the the letter to the Corinthian church, he says over 500 people saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. Now, even if you want to ignore the 15,000 plus people who were just intrigued by his miraculous power, 500 saw, more than 500 saw him raised from the dead and didn't make the prayer meeting waiting for the falling of the Holy Spirit. What are those 380 people doing? What's more important than praying and waiting for the words of the man you saw back from the dead to show up in realized experience in the falling of the Holy Spirit. You start to see some of Jesus' parables come into focus. Oh, I have to go to this thing for my family. Oh, I need to bury my father. Oh, I need to go see about this field. Oh, I've just gotten married. (laughs) Even if the numbers are a little bit off somewhere in there, something has happened. I think it begins to happen here in Matthew 13, and I think it's both happening and being described by Jesus in this parable. A prophet can do that. They can help us see what is happening in real time by offering us God's perspective on what we are experiencing. A prophet's task is to reveal the fault lines, 
hidden beneath the comfortable surface of the world we invent for ourselves. So yeah, I'm willing to show up and see what the show is today. I'm willing to show up and see if this person will be healed. Is there something I can immediately benefit from this one? But when it comes time for me to respond at a heart level, it's a whole different thing. So Jesus takes a spotlight in a sense and shines it on the hearts of those who had gathered to listen. And he tells this story. A, fa- a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. A lot of the seed does not produce a crop. It does not grow up and, and endure or last to bear the life that it is meant to bear. It doesn't become what it is meant to become. And it's not because the seed isn't sown everywhere. And it's not because the seed doesn't have life in it. The variable is the soil. It is, as Jesus is going to explain to his disciples, the condition of the hearts of those who receive the word. So, really simply, there is hard ground, there is shallow soil, there is crowded soil, and there is good soil. And the crop in the good soil is absolutely astonishing. By agricultural terms, miraculous Jesus seems to be inviting those who are listening to him to see their own hearts. But I want to tell you, to see their own hearts not in a hopeless way, not in a way where you're just categorized and dismissed, but in a way that invites change, that confronts you. A dynamic is at work, and Jesus knows that it's at work, and he knows that it's going to be happening. And sometimes Jesus is explaining these things are happening, and it feels like he's, he's just dis- dismissing the reality and, and sending these people away in judgment. But many times he's in grief expressing, listen, I know that this, this, this invitation is going to be too much. Remember when he's talking to the rich young ruler, and he says, listen, I followed all these things. What do I need to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus tells him, it says he loved the man, and he tells him, go and sell what you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And the man's heart was downcast. And you can see the agony of Jesus as he lets people in on seeing their own hearts really, truly in the light of God's word, God's presence, God's invitation. And knowing many of them, it's just, they're just not willing to let go of the things that have a hold of them. So this dynamic is at work and Jesus is using this parable to show that dynamic for what it is. And the form is easy enough to follow, right? This, this happens a couple of times. Jesus tells a simple story in familiar terms. Uh, his, his disciples then come and ask him, why are you teaching the people in parables? What, what's up with these stories? And he gives a pretty cryptic answer. He, does, he doesn't say, I'm giving nice, relatable farming lessons in ways that people can understand. In fact, he says, I'm making it harder. Uh, it's more, it's more difficult, which is a, a real challenge to us. And then he explains the parable to them, but not in a way that takes away the questions or makes it, or makes it simple. So first, a couple of bits of context that I think can help us grasp what's going on here. First, 
Parables were a commonly used uh, rabbinic teaching tool in the first century and, and, and beyond. So Jesus wasn't inventing a form here, but he's building on one that his hearers would have been familiar with. Secondly, uh, a parable is a way of teaching that invites discovery. So it is intentionally making it more, uh, the, the, the meaning perhaps more initially veiled, but so that you go behind the veil and press in and move towards discovery. It calls you, a parable calls you to work with it, to enter it, to wrestle with it, to go for a walk. Our, our Western learning style you know, Austin celebrates much more of a propositional, you know, linear learning pathway. And Jesus is an Eastern rabbi, and he's inviting a method of discovery that feels a lot more cyclical to us. You know, wander through this with me. Jesus' hearers uh, would have known they should be looking for themselves in the story. They would have known they should be looking for their story in the story. And even specifically the type of story that Jesus is using here, where where there are four types of hearers, this was a familiar sort of uh, method in in rabbis' parables. Rabbis often told told stories where there are four types of learners or four types of hearers or four types of people represented. One of the more famous and apparently humorous uh, ones in more skillful hands than mine compared learners to um, a sponge a funnel, a strainer, and a sieve. So the sponge takes everything in, the good and the bad, and holds on to it. The funnel takes it all in, but eventually loses it. The strainer loses the good and keeps only the bad. You sort of see a cynicism there. And the sieve lets the bad drain away and keeps the good. So the rabbi is trying to help his hearers determine where they are, but more than that, determine where they want to be and what would it mean to, 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 to get there. The point obviously wasn't just to notice that there are four types of learners, but to know yourself, your relationship to Torah, your relationship to God, your relationship to the story, your relationship to your neighbor. Find yourself in this. Find God in this. One more thing. There, there's, uh, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but there are also four levels of, of grasping a rabbi's teaching, um, especially par- parables. And, and like I said, uh, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but if you want to dive deeper, Brad Young has a book on, on Jesus's parables and Jesus as a Jewish teacher, which has been really helpful to me. And then Marty Solomon has um, uh, information in his Bama podcast on this, which has uh, been really helpful. So just really quickly, the levels of grasping parables. The first is called Pesh- shot. And this is the surface level understanding of the story. It's the meaning that immediately comes through when you hear it. Like, oh, this is, this is kind of obviously what's being talked about here. And there's tons of good in Bashat. I'm not demeaning it whatsoever. Many of us, th- this is all, all, all the places we're going to go and maybe all that we, we would need. It's a devotional understanding. If you don't have a deep knowledge of the law and the prophets, a deep knowledge of Torah, then Bashat is what's available to you. It's the understanding that the person standing on the shore would have immediately jumped jumped to after hearing Jesus's parable or the disciples after they ask him. So Peshat is a surface level, but there's tons of good there. There's still life-giving God, you know, God fruit to be born from, from that surface level understanding. But then there's another uh, level of understanding called remez. And this is um, basically when the rabbi would hide hidden treasures in the story. And so there would be in an oral culture where many of the, uh, the you know, the, the, the people standing there would have had to memorize large sections of Torah when they 
they were children. Some of them would have memorized the entire thing. When you hear a familiar phrase, it's cluing you into another section of the scriptures. And so remez is an understanding of the parables where you hear a clue and you realize it's pointing you to the context of another situation. So there's, there's one in this parable where Jesus is a hundredfold. That's only mentioned one other time in the Hebrew scriptures. And we're going to talk about wh- where it is in just a little bit. But uh, Pishat is a surface level. Remez is this like treasure map that clues us into other phrases you've heard other places and directs you to those contexts as a full understanding of what's going on. And then very similar drosh is, um, is, is the third way. It's a deeper narrative connection. Often the rabbi's you know, primary teaching purpose will be found in Remez and Drash and helping people understand the fullness of the connection of how God's telling this story down the way. Now, Remez and Drash, those two levels of understanding the parables or, or the teachings of a rabbi, were never meant to be sorted out alone. It wasn't like you and your, your moleskin journal in the park were going to discover it. You know, it was something that had to be worked out in community. It had to be worked out in conversation. It, it, ha- it had to be worked out in a havara, which is a learning community where we're, we're sorting these things out. And, and remez and drash were always up for debate. So people would chew on the stories. They would savor them. They would turn them over, over and over again. And that's why they were given in a way that you could carry the story away with you. The details weren't so complicated that you couldn't retell it on your walk home. And so Remesh and Drash were a way of, of, of understanding the fullness of what was being expressed, but working that out in community. And the last, the last way, the fourth way of understanding these parables was called sowed. And this is not teachable. It's divine wisdom. It's a gift. It's something that God himself illuminates in your mind, illuminates in your heart as you hear the word. It's that personal word of God coming to you. And Jesus says to his disciples, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. This is what he's talking about, sowed. It's, it, it's a gift. I've seen the work of God in you. Sometimes you'll hear um, the Greek words logos and rhema talked about this way. The rhema is that special word of revelation that God gives his children. Just a little later in the Gospels when the disciples are talking with Jesus and he says, who do the people say that I am? And they're sorting that out. And then he says to Peter, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter says, you're the Messiah, the Lord. And, and Jesus says to him, that's, that's sowed. That's the divine wisdom. That's the secrets of the kingdom that's been revealed to you by my Father, by the Spirit, not by just human understanding. And so we want to understand the surface level. We want to, you know, we, we know there are places we can press in into the treasure map. We can work this out in community into our lives. And then we can ask God, would you give us the divine wisdom, the secrets of the kingdom? So Jesus gives us this parable. And if you carried it away and you wrestled with it and you discussed it on your way home and you followed up with Jesus, you would discover the seed is the word of God. And God is the sower. We aren't the sower. Sometimes in a, in a youth group lesson on this, you'll, you'll hear like, hey, you're, got, you're out there sowing the seed and there's going to be all types of dis- different responses, so don't get too discouraged. That's not the message of this parable. God is the sower and the seed is sown everywhere. It's not just sown in the nice deserving parts of the world. It's not just um, in the places that are guaranteed to produce results. The seed is available everywhere and it's the same seed that's on the path as in as is in the deep nutrient soil. And we need to meditate on that a little bit. It's not just that the good people get the good seed. Robert uh, Farrar Capone, who's a New York City theologian, 
And Pastor has done some incredible work on the parables. He says that this parable um, begins to show us something you see over and over in the parables, and that is the everywhere nature of the kingdom. What, what he calls, and what, you know, what theologians call Catholicity. Not that you worship at a Catholic church or that you obey the, the teachings of the Pope. This is saying that many of the parables insist that the kingdom of God is at work everywhere always and for all, rather than in some places at some time and for some people. This is actually an integral part of Jesus' teaching from start to finish. The everywhere nature of the kingdom of God, the seed is cast, broadcast method, and all these different situations, the everywhere nature of the kingdom of God, this watershed parable of parables is saying the kingdom is available everywhere, but it doesn't grow the same everywhere. There are different conditions of our heart. And so let's see these as simply as they are described, because even in the simplicity, there is so much power. First soil, the hard heart. Our hearts have become hardened, and this can happen to us, right? The illustration, the story says they've been trampled on. They've been walked on over and over again. The world can do this to us. And we get wounded, we get hurt, and we, we, we harden in our hearts. And we say, I'm not letting anyone else in. I'm not letting anything in. Our hearts are not open. Our hearts are not receptive. They're, and this introduces a, 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 the reality that the, the word can be snatched away. It's sitting there on the surface. It's not sinking in. And it says the enemy comes and snatches the word away. So there's the hardness that the world can help create in us, the woundedness, the experiences of our life, our own response to them, our own sort of taking care of ourselves and making sure. And then there's a reality of actual spiritual conflict where the enemy takes the, 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 the seed away. The second soil is shallow. And there's a promising initial response. Many of you have experienced this or you've seen this in someone else where there's, there's a, 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 a profound emotional response to, to, to the invitation of God, to the, the, the message of Jesus, to the person of Christ. But it's only uh, for a short time in an outward appearance. It, it seems and feels real, but there's no rootedness. And eventually troubles come and the person is scorched and the seed doesn't last. It doesn't bear fruit. It's the exact opposite of this picture we get at the beginning of the Psalms in Psalm 1 where it says those who meditate on the word, those who uh, savor it, those who let it sink down into their souls, those who let it come to define their life and existence become like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in season and out. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That's, That's a picture I want for my life and it's contrasted here in this shallow soil that doesn't have roots. The third soil is crowded. Maybe this is the most prominent soil in, in, in the Western uh, American church world. Also a promising initial response, but there are other concerns that loom just as large in our hearts, specifically the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. This idea that we have the illusion of control and that we can control the way our lives go and the way the world goes if, we're just, if we just do these certain things and the worries of, of our life grow up and become just as large in us as the reality of God, His Word, His kingdom, and the deceitfulness of wealth, that actually the fullness of life is going to be found in this comfort and this status and these possessions and this experience and this vacation and this, se- and, and this sex- sexual experience, whatever it is. Other things grow up and and choke out the world. Choke out the word. 
Ronald Rollheiser says, Western culture today is so powerful and alluring that, often, that it often swallows us whole. Its beauty, power, and promise generally take away both our breath and our perspective. The lure of present salvation, money, sex, creativity, the good life, has for the most part entertained, amused, distracted, and numbed us into a state where we no longer have a perspective beyond that of our culture and its short-range salvation story. The best we can hope for is now, the fullest expression of ourselves right in this moment. And Jesus says there's a deeper, better life, a more lasting life, a more fruitful life available. The fourth soil... is called good, that our hearts would be good. And, and, and what that means is allowing the miracle of growth. That's how good is defined here, allowing the miracle of growth. Not some achievement by the soil, but allowing the seed to do what the seed does. What you find in the good soil is the least amount of interference. If you want to call it this, it's the, it's the most surrendered to love. The seed and the soil come together and they produce something, an astonishing crop, a hundred, sixty, thirty-fold. I've read this parable before and been uh, religiously anxious, like, oh, what's, what if I'm one of the wrong soils and, and I have no way to get to, to, to being the good soil? I don't think that's why Jesus is teaching this story. I think if that was the reality, then he'd just leave the description and, and, and go away. I think he's inviting people to wrestle with this. He's inviting people to the doorway of change. He's inviting people to the, tr- the trailhead of walking with God to say, if you can really honestly see what's going on in your, in your heart, then you can invite God into the reality of your heart to change your heart. I think you can be different soils at different times in your life. I think Jesus is inviting us to see our hearts with the light of his love shining on it. Something incredible happens when you see your heart the way God sees your heart. Initially, the picture might be a lot more startling or uglier than you wanted to see, but God's saying, no, I absolutely love you. I love your heart. I want to come and live there. And God is willing to change us. He's willing to literally fall like a seed in the ground and die in order to bring us into this harvest, this crop, this family, this new way of being human, this new life. I'll tuck this away for, for you to discuss in a group or to process on your own, but there is some remez and some drosh, some of those other layers of understanding this parable that we're not even going to spend a lot of time in. But as Jesus sort of gives these descriptions and he's talking to his disciples and he's, he's letting them work with this parable, he says, if you have a hard heart, and his, his, he clues them into language from Israel's law and prophets. And in Hosea 10, it says, this is what you do if you have a hard heart. In Hosea 10, it says, if you have a hard heart, you break up the, 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 the unplowed ground. How do you break up the unplowed ground? What do you do if you find yourself in the condition of the first soil? And one of the things, this isn't the only way that you can break up a hard heart, but one of the ways is to be generous. And in Hosea 10, it says, even if you feel hard, begin practicing generosity until the soil of your heart begins to get tilled and broken up. And And even when you feel like you need to keep everything for yourself and protect yourself, start to move out around the other and practice that generosity of spirit and let the uh, the, the soil of your heart be tilled. And so there's a clue that points 
in the interpretation of the parable to Hosea 10, which gives us a clue about what we do if we find ourselves with a hard heart, begin practicing generosity, moving out around the others, not simply demanding that the world revolve around you. Shallow soil, what do you do? And there's a bunch of places where Israel is called shallow soil and and God tells them what to do. Isaiah 5 is one of the examples. And one of the things God says to do if you have shallow soil is to savor the word of God. That's what we talked about in, in, in Psalm 1. It's basically like to let it roll around on your tongue. Hagah, let you drink it in, hold on to it, savor. That's going to deepen your experience in the world. It's going to d- allow the roots of your heart to go, to, to go down deep. So Isaiah 5.24 talks about savoring the word of God as a way to go deep if we find ourselves in a shallow place. There's a lot of in Torah about what do you do if you find your heart crowded. Jeremiah 4 is one. And basically it comes down to confront anything in your life that you've allowed to ascend the place that only God is meant to be. Confront the realities of anything that's taking um, a divine amount of space in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. Confront your false gods. You ha- these things have to be rooted out. They have to be torn up. They have to be removed. I said there was a remaz around a uh, hundredfold. It's the only other time that that's mentioned in the scriptures is um, in Isaiah, sorry, in Isaac's life. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because we're wrapping up. But there's a, a, a moment in Isaac's life where he basically makes a bunch of the same mistakes that his father Abraham made. And, um, and he, he lies about his, his wife. And one of the rulers says, why, why did you do this? You know, like, why, why couldn't you trust us? And he drives Isaac away, basically. And Isaac keeps going to these places and he digs a well and he sets up camp. And then they come and they, they quarrel with him over and then he moves and he sets up camp and he and, and and eventually he finds a place where they don't quarrel and it says that God blessed him and what and, and he bore a crop that was a hundredfold it's the only other place in the scriptures where a hundredfold is mentioned Jesus is cluing his hearers in to the reality saying listen I know there's quarreling over the land right now. I know you're longing for Rome to be driven out. I know you're longing for the promises made to, the, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to be fulfilled among you. Stay, put down roots, trust in Yahweh, trust my word, let it go down deep. Let me be the one who bears a hundredfold in your midst. Let, deal with the reality of your own heart. The astonishing nature of the crop in this story would have gotten the attention of of the hearers. But I wonder if it gets our attention at all. Sometimes I think we, we miss the actual crop that's being produced here. When we talk about the fruit, that the, the word of God or the seed that falls in the ground or, or actually Christ and his gospel produces in our life, we begin to have to confront, do we really think that it's worth it? Because here's what the fruit that's talked about in the New Testament, salvation and new life, love, that we are made family with people from all different walks of life by the love of God, 
that we know we're going to have trouble and conflict in our, in our relationship with people, but we have reconciliation. That's another fruit of the reality of the kingdom of God. And then fullness, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, the actual deepest things we long for in our human soul expressed in us by the life of God and the soul of a person. The fruit we're talking about is salvation, love, reconciliation, fullness. I'll give you Robert Capone one more time. He says, the fruits of the Spirit, however, the, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, however, those results that are not manufactured by our plausible and deliberate efforts, but simply allowed to grow unimpeded under the guidance of the Spirit, who takes what is, is the words and shows it to us, are every one of them truly human traits. So this is the fruit, the truly human traits. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. They are not results of or rewards for our frantic efforts to make ourselves right. Rather, they are the very rightness for which our nature was made, bestowed upon us as a free gift. The very rightness for which our nature was made. The very thing our world is needing right now so desperately is the fruit of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and self-control. Will we allow the miracle of this to grow in us? Jesus knows if you can be honest about where you are, honest about where your heart really is, you can be changed from there. But if you refuse to see it, you're not going to change. He knows that if you can obey what you do understand, it can be, begin the tilling of your heart. Bring your heart to God. Bring your heart to Christ. Here's the thing. Whatever you won't surrender becomes a burden that you have to carry. It becomes crushing. It becomes choking. It becomes a, a, a rock that you're living up against. Whatever we won't surrender becomes a burden that we have to carry. Let us allow the miracle of growth. And if you haven't picked it up already, we've said it, we've hinted at it. We've, we, 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 Jesus is the seed. He is the word of God. The word made flesh and dwelt among us. The word went down into the ground and grew up into a crop of love and reconciliation and peace and transformation and the kingdom, not just a message, but a person. How is your heart today? Really, truly, honestly, how is your heart? Is it hardened? Is it shallow? Is it crowded? We can allow the miracle of growth through surrender. Bring your heart to the Lord, whatever condition it is in. Bring your heart to the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would give us the courage and the faith right now to bring our hearts honestly before you. I pray that your word, your light, your presence would shine on our hearts in such a way that we can see them for what they really are. And whatever way we find them, hardened or shallow or crowded or, or receptive, God, I pray that you would draw near to us and that you would till the soil and that you would change and that, the, that you, Lord Jesus, would go deep into our hearts for the first time or the millionth time. 
God, and that we might bear the fruit of the reality of your kingdom. God, these, these things our world is needing so much you would produce in us. God, may we look out to our neighbor. May we not excuse ourselves from loving our neighbor. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Change our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.